Oh, I'm Rachel Cassandra. Welcome to Midday Magazine for Friday, January 13th. Kodiak's biggest tanner crab fishery in nearly 40 years is set to open on Sunday, but the fleet is standing down. Fishermen say they won't go fishing for the prices offered by local canneries. As Kirsten Dobroth reports from Kodiak, it's the latest wrinkle on a winter fishing season already impacted by closures and strikes. Processors in Kodiak offered $2.50 per pound for tanners when negotiations started earlier this month. Kevin Abina is the secretary and treasurer for the Kodiak Crab Alliance Cooperative, which represents about 120 permit holders in the fishery. He says since then, all of Kodiak's canneries haven't budged from their initial price. We haven't been given anything to consider. $2.50 isn't a number that we'll consider. Last year, fishermen were paid a record of more than $8 per pound. The Tanner Crab Fishery was closed in 2021, but back in 2020, prices were still more than $4. This year's harvest levels for the Kodiak Fishery are the biggest they've been in nearly 40 years, at 5.8 million pounds. That's more than five times the size of last year's quota. Combined with the fisheries in Chignik and the South Peninsula, 7.3 million pounds total of tanners are up for grabs in the westward region. Last year, the State Department of Fish and Game estimates the Kodiak region alone was worth over $1.2 million. The big quota this year also means more boats are participating. Last year, 87 vessels fished for tanners. This year, 109 were registered as of Friday morning. That includes some Bering Sea crabbers whose seasons have been canceled because of crashing snow crab and king crab populations. Abina says some processors out west have been offering around $4 for tanner crabs. That doesn't help the local fleet, though, most of whom can't make the trip out the chain. And it doesn't help the community, which collects municipal taxes off of seafood landings. This is a community deal. Everybody in the fleet has spent a lot of money on getting ready to do this fishery. Everybody has invested money. Abina declined to call it a strike, but the action is similar to a strike in another fishery earlier this year. Bering Sea fishermen successfully pushed up the price per pound for Pacific cod after striking. Abina says the entire fleet, including fishermen in Chignik and the South District, is holding out until local processors offer better prices. The feeling of unity is, is really strong, and it's uh, it's pretty special. It's hard to get a get a diverse group like we have here on board. Everybody has things that they want to move on to after crab. Some boats go cod fishing. Some boats go dragging for pollock. Some guys will be going right into black cod. When reached by phone Friday morning, Pacific Seafoods had no comment. Other processors could not be reached. The cooperative's next meeting with permit holders is Saturday. Abina says if they get the right price, the soonest they'd go fishing is Monday, a day after the scheduled opener. In Kodiak, I'm Kirsten Dobrath. Alaska's flagship ferry, Columbia, will sail in Southeast communities this spring. It's the largest of the Alaska Marine Highways ferries, but it's been docked in Ketchikan since 2019, when it was taken out of service as a cost-saving measure. The Alaska Department of Transportation announced the move Wednesday. Spokesperson Sam Dapsevich says crews made an unfortunate discovery while working on maintenance for the ferry that typically covers Southeast routes. He says the 60-year-old Matanuska has a fair amount of what's called wasted steel. That's like corroded steel on the vessel that needs to be repaired. They didn't expect to have to do it, and it increases the cost and pushes out the timeline for it to return to service. So not being sure how long it's going to take, plus there's some other issues that need to be dealt with on the Matanuska related to Coast Guard safety requirements. They decided 
to put the Columbia back online and then evaluate the plan forward with the Matt Muska. Last fall, the Department of Transportation announced the 418-foot Columbia would remain docked despite years of work to make the ship ready to sail. The department had originally planned to task the Matanuska with the mainline southeast route. During its more than three-year layup, the Columbia served as housing for Alaska's Marine Highway crew. Dapsovich says the Matanuska will likely take over that role with the Columbia back in service. While it was operating as a housing vessel or a hotel ship, we call it, um, it was also getting work done, and that will likely be the same case with the Matanuska. While, while it's being worked on, it will be a hotel ship. Tapsovich says the Columbia is scheduled to begin sailing southeast routes on February 13th. It will mean some changes to routes and schedules. For one, the Columbia isn't certified to serve international ports. That means it won't be able to stop in Prince Rupert, British Columbia. Tapsovich says the smaller Kennecott will take over the Canadian route in May once crews finish scheduled maintenance on the vessel. The Columbia also isn't able to dock in Kupernoff Island community of Cake, so Dapsovich says the Marine Highway is working to add sailings to Cake using the day ferry, Leconte. Dapsovich says the Columbia's sit-down dining room, one of only two in the state f- ferry fleet, likely won't be open, but the grab-and-go cafeteria should be. He says the department hopes to open the ferry's bar, too, but that's still up in the air for now. The department says it hopes to publish the Columbia's full sailing schedule in the coming days. A fire sprinkler burst in the Petersburg Middle and High School over winter break, flooding two offices, including the office of the school's principal, Ambler Moss. KFSK's Shelby Herbert sat down with Superintendent Erica Clute painter and Facility Director Aaron Buller to talk through how the school will recover from the damage. So you folks were out of town on holiday when all of this went down. I'll start with you, Aaron. Where were you when you got the call that the the sprinkler had burst open? Well, it was uh, December 23rd, so majority of flights out of Seattle were canceled. Alaska Airlines was not flying any flights out of Seattle. So I was stuck in the airport waiting for a flight that kept getting delayed every hour. So in between all that, I was coordinating on the phone with my crew here back at the school. That's rough. And how about you, Erica? Well, I was actually in California with my family um, for Christmas. I was actually sitting at a table at a lunch Uh, The event did take place on December 23rd, which is actually a holiday for our custodians, for actually all of our um, year-round staff. So it was uh, fairly fortuitous that the situation was actually discovered by our elementary PE slash high school basketball coach. There was a fire alarm that went off prior to the event, which the fire department did come through and checked out the areas that they needed to check out. But the actual incident with the water and the sprinkler um, was actually discovered by accident because it was a holiday. And so thank goodness it was discovered. The basketball coach came in, was looking for something, actually I think a hair tie for a student, and opened the door and saw the water. So that's actually, thank goodness, how it was found. And it was found quite quickly after the event happened. So we are so grateful that that happened because of that cold snap, potential water damage. It could have been four days before somebody actually saw the water. And Aaron can talk more about the specifics as far as the repairs. But the damage, honestly, ended up being very minimal for 
what it could have been. Any idea what caused it? It just frozen pipes. Uh, with this incident happening, we did find that one of our exterior walls is not insulated. So that caused one of our pipes to freeze and the sprinkler head being the weakest point burst when everything was starting to thaw out, you know, warm up. The only damage is, you know, we've had to cut the bottom three inches of sheetrock out of every wall that had water damage and we had to run fans, um, dehumidifiers. We had a good crew here over that Christmas break to start, you know, sucking up water and carpet cleaning and, you know, getting stuff pulled out of these rooms so they could start cutting sheetrock out, start drying the inside of these walls. Kind of, yep, yep, just physics, you know. Yep, exactly. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So, you know, again, returning to, like, uh, you guys got very lucky that this happened um, on break. Uh, has this or will this affect operations at the school at all, do you anticipate? Uh, nope. I would say, again, just the crew that was working on this um, throughout the break was, you know, able to get it all uh, cleaned up, dried out, um, opened up. And so really, it's just more cosmetic at this point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, has this situation been assessed by your uh, insurance provider yet? So we did uh, report the incident to our local insurance and then our, our carrier, APEI. It's going to end up not reaching a $10,000 um, deductible threshold, um, and thank goodness, um, but they are aware of it. We have um, a local contractor named Kevin Hagen. He was able to jump right in, and he has done, you know, they immediately got the walls opened up. They had the dehumidifiers. that He had the little probe that he puts, you know, in moisture the wall, meter. a moisture meter. Moisture meter, yeah. And you check that constantly to see how much moisture is there. If there are any incidentals that, like, the, the insurance provider doesn't cover, are you prepared to be able to finish the repairs? Um, yes, we are. We do have, and Aaron could address this more specifically as well, but he does have a maintenance, um, and a maintenance budget, um, in addition to a custodial budget. Um, we do plan for that. We do budget for those. Um, and where this did come in at a fairly reasonable price, um, we're very grateful for that because it's not going to be tens of thousands of dollars, um, which we're really, really grateful for. So yes, there, we do, we do budget for, for things like this. So. I don't know yeah, if you want to add cove base and sheetrock. I mean, with the sheetrock that we've had to cut out, it was minimal. So we've had sheetrock left over from previous projects, repairs in the district office. We're able to utilize some of that in our repairs in the admin office areas. So in the cove base, I've uh, got a few rolls on order because we didn't have enough of it. But other than that, I mean, it was, it was pretty low, low cost for repairs. Aaron, how long do you expect this situation should take to repair? should take at least another week or so until the cove base gets here. But once it gets in, it'll take us a matter of a day to get the rest of the cove base in and hopefully be done here in a week. That was Superintendent Erica Clute painter and Facility Director Aaron Buller speaking with KFSK's Shelby Herbert about the recent flood at Petersburg Middle and High School. Wind power may be the best option to add an extra oomph to Sitka's electric grid based on based on research collected as part of an investigation into Sitka's long-term energy needs. Amy Sulana and Molly Greer are engineers with Pacific Northwest National Laboratory. They presented their findings to the Assembly on December 13th. The study was funded with a federal grant the city scored from the United States Department of Energy. Sitka was one of a handful of communities nationwide selected to participate in the ETIPP program. 
That stands for Energy Transitions Initiative Partnership, which seeks to help remote and island communities increase their energy resilience. Sulana said that of all the options, wind, solar, tidal, and geothermal, wind is expensive, but long-term it's cost-effective and would bring the biggest bang for the city's buck. The wind resource is the strongest resource that there is available is what we found. Um, There were several locations that we assessed throughout this project and Beaver Lake and Lucky Chance are the locations that are shown here to be the most favorable as far as wind production goes. Sulana said it could take around four years for the city to set up a wind project, which could generate up to 24 megawatts of power. She said solar energy would be quicker to set up, but the payoff is more limited since it would be most useful in the summer months on large south-facing rooftops. She also said there was potential to source wind and tidal energy, which would prove more useful than solar energy in the winter months, but would be smaller scale than a wind power project. There's also geothermal energy from Goddard Hot Springs, which was last investigated as a potential energy source in the 1980s. Then it was a very preliminary investigation, and what was found is that it looked promising, but really additional detailed investigation is needed to characterize the resource, to understand what the capacity is and if it's really feasible. Um, What that detailed assessment means is drilling a well to understand what the the heat flow is (coughs) below the surface. So why look into this when Sitka is still paying off a multi-million dollar hydroelectric dam project? The city is expecting more electric customers to jump onto the grid in the next five to ten years. With the construction of the new hospital on the search campus and continued migration toward electric cars, the city would need to rely on diesel generation to supplement the energy from the dam more often or find an alternative energy source. So these these loads are are known that they're going to be coming. Um, The current resources exist to meet those loads, but again, trying to look forward and and reduce that reliance on diesel um, was the the purpose of this project. And looking even farther forward, um, as electrification continues with electric vehicles and um, homes and buildings switching from fossil fuel heating to heat pumps, you will eventually reach something along the lines of what's shown in blue at the very top. So that's a huge growth in load um, that really needs some, some planning now to address that, what is coming. The full ETIPP report will be published this month. You can view Solana's presentation slides on kcaw.org. Members of Alaska's legislature will soon have more housing options in Juneau. As Katie Anastas reports from Juneau, legislators and staff say a new apartment building just for them could help address common challenges they face when finding housing. The assembly building is a three-story office building just steps away from the Capitol. Last month, a legislative committee approved spending $6.6 million to convert it into 33 apartments as early as next year. It could help address some of the challenges legislators and their staff often face when looking for housing. For one, the downtown location could reduce the need to bring a car. That'd be a perk for legislators like Anchorage Senator Bill Wilikowski. He stopped bringing a car with him to Juneau a few years ago after an icy, windy stop in Whittier to drop off his car at the ferry. It was like a comedy scene. I remember I, I fell down and I couldn't get back up and I was crawling, trying to get back to my car. 
because it was like sheet ice and like 80 mile an hour winds. And then my glasses flew off into the into the ocean. <laughs> it was crazy. It would also bring the amount of session housing closer to pre-pandemic levels. The Legislative Affairs Agency keeps a list of rooms, apartments, and houses for rent submitted by landlords. Executive Director Jessica Geary says the list got significantly smaller during COVID. And then there's the issue of Airbnb. We've had some people try to list using sort of their short-term Airbnb rental rates, so a few hundred dollars a night for some. And we've we've turned down those listings because we want it to still be affordable. We want Juno to be a, you know, friendly, affordable place for the legislature to come. Juno Representative Sarah Hannon chairs the committee that approved the spending. She says they haven't determined how much rent will cost. The goal is not to undercut the market, and the goal isn't really to become a profitable landlord, right? We're not going into the landlord business to make money, but I think there will be an expectation that it um, pays for itself and doesn't undercut any market that's out there. Another major benefit will be availability during special sessions. Many leases meant for legislators and staff end in late April or early May, because that's when tourism season starts in Juneau. If the session goes longer than that, Geary says, it can put tenants in a tough spot. Ships are coming earlier and earlier, so it's definitely an issue. Like, we're usually good on housing until, like, May 1st, and then it starts um, getting a little bit difficult. Mike Mason has witnessed that firsthand. He's been a legislative staffer since 2015. I mean, I can tell you horror stories of, like, I had housing uh, for us when we had five special sessions in a year. I did not have to lose my housing. Almost everybody else did. And, like, I'm stashing people's clothes in my house and all this kind of thing because people are just couch surfing. Mason is working for Anchorage Senator Lukey Tobin this year. Tobin says the housing crunch in April and May can have an impact on legislators' ability to get work done. One of the things I've noticed is that that 90-day period of time actually results in some work having to be shifted because many staffers are moving out of the place that they had secured into new accommodations. And so you, you really see an impact into the speed and efficiency of some of the bills moving forward because of that unfortunate blip. The Legislative Affairs Agency still has rentals listed for the upcoming session, which starts on Tuesday. Legislators and staff still in need of housing, as well as Juneau homeowners with rentals available, can contact the agency's office. In Juneau, I'm Katie Anastas. And for KFSK, I'm Rachel Cassandra.